I got a lot of really bad vibes from music school cats, you yep. know, um, and felt really, really marginalized by that music, that mm. music scene, as much as I have uh, loved that music for a long time. So it's really interesting now that I've come, I'm kind of, you know, spoken about as this kind of jazz musician. So it's funny for me to find myself in this space. Yeah, man. None of those, none of those dudes <laughs> have been told they have the best debut jazz album in the world right now. And I don't think any of them made it onto NPR's top 20 newcomers list. So uh, to those cats, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> episode that you'll hear i'm joined by my co-host essie aka maria podesta aka no more chomi and um we just want to say thank you to everyone that's been patient and been willing to wait for this episode we know it's been a long break this year has been a little bit different so we just appreciate that y'all were willing to ride out this drought with us and we're happy to be back and um on this episode we have our friend a thinker activist, organizer, community builder, and a musician by the name of Asha Gomedze, who released his debut album as a solo band leader, Dialectic Soul, and we chop it up with him him on uh, that album and talk about how it's been doing and the reception. And the theme of the episode that we go into this, this time is on South African jazz music, and we pose the question to him, if it's lost its commercial value and ultimately its cultural significance within these later years of post-apartheid South Africa. And we had a really great conversation on that. And so we hope that you enjoy what you're about to listen to and that you take away something from it that will change your outlook and teach you something new. But yeah, we just hope that you enjoy this conversation between us, The Deep Cut, and Asha Gometze. Um, Asha... Is actually pretty fundamental in how we got this thing started because he helped us connect with our first guest, Manny Walters. Um, but apart from playing with several other different bands, including the Manny Walters Project, Asher has released his debut album as a solo band leader, and um, the album's called Dialectic Soul. in terms of the reception and the coverage that it's getting and I think to start things off before we get into the topic of today's episode my first question would be um, did you imagine that you would be getting the compliments and praises that you've been getting I know um, you spoke about the the benefits of being released through a label such as On The Corner who helped you put this out there but uh Man, I've I've seen such great, great reviews of it, and people are calling it 
the best debut jazz album of the year, NPR top 20 artists to look out for, newcoming artists. Um, how does that all, how does that feel? Of eight on four, <laughs> if that matches. You know? <laughs> I mean, I think the, I think the crucial thing is what, Essie, what you said just at the end, like if that matters. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's really humbling and obviously it's great that it's being received in such a positive way. Um, you know, I guess for, for people like myself and many others whose entry point into music is not, you know, not trying to be on NPR or not trying to be on Pitchfork or, or whatever it is, not, not that, not that you don't want to be there, but that's, it's just that that's not the reason we play music, you 100%. know. Um, and for someone like myself who's played in independent music scenes for over 10 years, um, I've never needed any of that kind of, uh, I've never had any of that kind of uh, validation or, or, or whatever. So, um, and I mean, this project means means so much to me uh, as a person and like in relation to my own journey. Um, so, you know, even if it didn't have, even if it did, wasn't received in the same way, it, it wouldn't change what that, what it means to me. You know? yeah. uh, it's obviously really, uh, really special for other people to connect with it. And I mean, maybe there's also something, um, maybe that also says something about the intention with which music is made. Mm -hmm. And if it is, if it, I don't know, if it isn't necessarily made to, 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 to gain that kind of recognition or comes from a different kind of place, maybe it has more possibility of doing that. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would probably have to think that out more seriously before I like committed to that statement. But I mean, the other thing to say is also, you know, uh, the music game is fucking rigged, you know. Um, like, I mean, I've been part of so many projects uh, over however long, and none of them have uh, achieved any of the um, anything close to the reception that this record has. Which is not to say necessarily anything about the quality of those other projects and what other people are involved in. That doesn't necessarily land that way, you know. But it's Basically, without uh, you know, without label support and like a funded PR campaign, there's 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 a whole range of avenues and doors that are completely just closed to a project. Mm. So it's been interesting uh, as someone who's hustled as an independent musician for all of these years to then be on not necessarily the other side, but see a different side of of of, of the music scene and see what is possible with. Uh, with that, so it's, um, I take it all with a pinch of salt, <laughs> you know. Um, I think a lot of the time we are, when we see, you know, NPR reviewing this thing, or Pitchfork, or like article in Mail and Guardian, or, or on Kai FM, Metro FM, there's, there's, a, there's an immediately a thing like, oh shit, like the music's doing so well, like it's like this organic thing that's just connecting with everyone. And definitely as a musician, one hopes that there's an aspect of, that you know that people are connecting with the music in an authentic way um but at the end of the day a lot of that stuff wouldn't happen without um 
without someone who's employed to make it happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's odd, interesting, um, special, humbling. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's many things. Yeah, I'm wondering um, where, where I guess, spirituality or African spirituality, whatever you want to call it, where it falls into, um, into this project and this idea of time. Because also, um, the, you know, generally the tempo, I think, throughout the project, um, it's cleanser. Like, um, just like African dance, yeah, yeah. the kind of tempo where I was like, this is, this is, you know, this is the kind of music that, um, as far as the drums go, um, this is the kind of music that a person would call upon in order to dance to connect with um, with the ancestral, sure. which is also a movement through time in itself. Um, and particularly even Siapulela, I mean, it has lyrics, and the lyrics very much speak to something that is higher than, um, you know, even the mortality of Black people through time. So I was just sure. about because um, it felt very spiritual to me. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, I, and I think, you know, my, um, I guess my orientation, my intention with the music is to, is, is to get to a place where we're playing, um, not from like our head, you know, so that, it, so that uh, all of the kind of conceptual work and whatever is done beforehand, and you know, I'm playing with such good good musicians that they kind of you know, such open musicians. They're like whatever the concept is, cats can internalize that and play play from that place without thinking about it. And I think that that's kind of when you get into a space of meditation. It's a spiritual practice, however we want to think about it, you know. Um, but I mean, I think for me, it's it's also about you mentioned. Um, Brazim's album, Symbology. Um, we were speaking about Busim Shlongo's album earlier. But all of this music, you know, points to points to the existence and the extension and the persistence of African cultural practices within quote unquote modern music. Yeah. You know what I mean? So so my album, I guess, is just my, my own my own improvisation through and my own creative practice through you know forms of of of, of song forms of politics that i've found um, and kind of trying to trying to make trying to make my own thing in that space there's a there's a writer she's an academic her name is afko i'm going to paraphrase because i don't actually remember um what she said but she basically says that you know, the one thing that white supremacy does is render um, the imagination of anyone who's subaltern kind of, it stifles it, that you can't even begin, you know, to imagine that there's a better, you know, it's kind of like, this is the way that it is. And here you are working with this album where you're confronting white supremacy, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's kind of like, oh, there's hope for Azania, so it's not it's not, you know, it's not just desolate and kind of, it, it taps into, okay. some, you know, some kind of joy. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think, I think, um, and part of that is linked to, to the, what Cabral's thought on culture, but it's, it's always to also say that we come from somewhere. 
You know what I mean? We, we, we are, in, in my opinion, in my experience, in my life, uh, we are not just socially dead beings subjected to the violence of white supremacy. You know, um, that's, 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 a, that's, a, that's like one of the, the, the conditions that conditions the world in such a violent way. But I think it's also to say we come from somewhere, you know, and there's old there's older practices that have been kept alive and transformed by people, not like older practices that we're picking up from, you know, thousands of years ago or like some pre-colonial past. Mm. Um, but to say that, um, you know, joy is a much as much a part of Black life as 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 violence is you know and it's not and it's not like some liberal kind of mm-hmm. fucking thing to say like the, the violence doesn't exist or it's fine because people have joy but they always exist in, in in this dialectical relationship with each other you know um and i mean i think for me po- politically that's always been an important an important thing you know i you were speaking just before and you said that you recorded the album last year um and the album was recorded with um buddy wells and sax and robbie fasikoko and trumpets mm-hmm. and nono kwane and vocals and um tembi kile tembi nkosi mavimbela on bass double bass um in the span of two days i believe it was just two days of recording this music but you said it was recorded last year and end of 2018 actually end of 2018 yeah so december right. 28 december 2018 and it comes out this year. And the album, for, for the people who are listening to this discussion, album, um, according to your own words and some of the interviews we've read, deals with the, the act of resistance to some of uh, the violent oppressive systems that um, captures um, so many lives, such as colonialism and capitalism. And the album comes out in July. I think State of Emergencies comes out in April or something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, in a moment, um, I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, unprecedented, but it's such a very visible moment right now in the world, um, triggered by the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, that kind of starts this conversation about how the world is organized and how we need to, um, some people say reform, but some people say overhaul. But the album speaks very much to what is going on right now, presently, and um, you know, it's very interesting that you say your inspiration for the album draws upon the black radical tradition, which I don't think has received as much as attention as it's receiving now. And maybe in this millennium, this part of the millennium at least, where, you know, the names of Cabral and Malcolm X and um, Beagle are being spoken about a little bit more because of the radicalization that's happening right now in this moment. Do you, have any sort of answer as to how that ended up happening where it came out in such a very convenient time for the moment or was it just a matter of pure fate or like how did how did how did how did that even end up happening well i mean yeah i mean the first thing to say is definitely that it's uh, it's it's odd but interesting and the how the album wasn't obviously written in this moment but it feels in so many ways like it has something to say about the moment you know and say to the moment 
you know, I think about like state of emergence suite. And, you know, for me, like one of the things that that suite is about is like, you know, state of emergence suite sounds like state of emergency. But it's to say that always a state of emergency is always also a state of emergence. Mm-hmm. So within the like, chaos, uh, intense forms of oppression, there's also the emergence of new forms of resistance. Mm-hmm. And I think that is true about this moment. Um, and also, I mean, you know, I think about Siabulela in terms of all of the people who have passed, yeah. all the people who have lost people, and the urgency of kind of acknowledging that and kind of healing from the trauma of that. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, hope in Azania. Hopefully that, 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 that never dies, you know. We, we must have hope in, and belief in the possibility of, of, of a different world here, you know. Um, and I guess the whole, the whole album, the central concept is motion, you know. Um, and I guess in terms of thinking about what it has to say to the moment or feeling like what it has to say about the moment, this moment is just a heightened version of uh, the forms of oppression and exploitation that exist um, under the normal conditions of capitalism's operation. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's not—it's not as if this moment is like completely yeah. out of the blue or, or new in a certain sense, you know. But it's highlighted and heightened. Um, you know, people who are working in precarious conditions. Uh, it's heightened um, police brutality in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's heightened the sense of kind of uh, dispossession and the reinforcement of private property. I mean, like what's been going on in Cape Town over the last two, three months is just yeah. absolutely vile. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's, it's really unbelievable how under such intense social conditions, um, people living in shacks uh, with have been like violently removed from, from their place, their only place, you know? Um, so, and, but, 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 but the, the really fucked up thing outside from the acute nature of the violence being expressed and kind of perpetrated in this moment is that that happens all the fucking time. Yeah. You know, whether it's in that form or it's in, in, in the form of someone being paid like uh, less than minimum wage or minimum wage. I mean, minimum wage is a form of fucking violence. Wage in itself. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, but, so the moment has really just exacerbated and sharpened those kind of things and, and, and blown them up in a certain way. So if I think about how my album speaks to it, I think my album is trying to speak to a longer history of that same oppression, that same violence, um, and a longer history of resistance to it, you know? So in a sense, the kind of current moment is, is, is momentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a momentary kind of blip on a, on a long history of, uh, of this kind of tension between resistance and oppression you know um yeah that, that's a really solid answer um i would like maybe for us to get into the topic thank you um, <laughs> yeah, sure. uh i would like for us to get into the topic um 
that we had brought forth for today. And uh, this is something that Essie and I have spoken about um, in private, and we actually tried to record this episode on two occasions. Uh. And, <laughs> and um, it didn't really work out, but you know, things happen for a reason because I feel like it's really cool that we can bring you in yeah. and um, have you join us in this sort of um, discussion that I don't know who else thinks about it, but it's something that Essie and I have spoken about, and we've also shared our, our different opinions on it. But uh, Basically, the topic on today is looking at South African jazz music, and it's great that we have, you know, the dude that's running South African jazz right now in terms of, in terms, in terms of nah, a release, nah, 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 a release nah, 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 nah. Um, Man, you've been on all the playlists, bro. I was, I was like, you know yo, what? this guy yeah. is on all the playlists. It's so wild because, like, South African jazz is, like, is, is the musical and kind of social space that I've felt most excluded by in my wow. history as a musician. You know, like I, I, you know, as someone who never went to school for this music, mm-hmm. you know, I got a lot of like, I got a lot of really bad vibes from music school cats, you yep. know, um, and felt really, really marginalized by that music, that mm. music scene as much as I have uh, loved that music for a long time. So it's really interesting now that I've come, I'm kind of, you know, spoken about as this kind of jazz musician. Mm. Whereas, like, I mean, so much of my music is also, I mean, we were speaking about a band earlier, and I kind of described them as dissident jazz, you know, and like a lot of the jazz music tradition, if we think about it in that way, is is made by dissident musicians, you uh. know. You know, like if we think about all the ways that the music has moved forward, it's it's from people who've been like, no, fuck that yeah. tradition and yeah. fuck, not the tradition, sorry, like those conventions, those norms, what yeah. is understood as it. I'm trying to do my own thing in this space. You know, we don't have, you know, we don't have like Miriam, we don't have Coltrane, we don't have either of the Coltrane's, you know. Yep. We don't have uh, like the Chicago ensemble, we don't have Zimawana without this dissident spirit, mm. you know? So it's like, uh, as much as jazz is a tradition, it's also uh, this tradition of the revolt against jazz and categorization of it as that. 100%. So it's funny for me to find myself in this space. Yeah, man, none, uh, of, those, none of those dudes <laughs> have been told they have the best debut jazz album in the world right now. And I don't think <laughs> any of them made it onto NPR's top 20 newcomers list. So uh, to those cats, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, so basically, the question that Zide came up with was: Has South African jazz music lost commercial value and ultimately cultural significance? Um, and just thinking about the space that you have come to occupy with your debut, specifically Asha, it felt like it was it was moving back to the time where you know jazz was hot. And jazz was, you know, anti-apartheid. It was intellectual. There's, this is like, this is mm. black expression. But also the idea of black expression in the moment where um, something like a government that's really, really oppressive uh, uh, kind of necessitates a reaction like jazz, where we kind of like uh, have musicians that speak for things of liberation and freedom and resistance. And in South Africa right now, we've had those very, very oppressive moments in post-apartheid South Africa. It hasn't been the same tool that it used to be when, when you know, um, cats like Masekela 
and um, even the likes of who else? Yeah, there you go. You know, like we're we're coming out and saying something against their governments. Hmm. What is what is I mean? What what does what do we what can we say that the reason is? You know, why jazz hasn't been there for us? You know, in terms of what's happening with Margana and Life is Too Many and Cape Town evictions and all these fucking atrocities. Sure. Yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a really big question and something I've, I've thought about uh, a lot. And maybe some of the so I think some of the main things that I would like to touch on, just to flag for the rest of the conversation, I won't necessarily get into all of them now. But the I I think one of the major things we need to think about in this conversation is the reformulation of capitalism through the ninety-four movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that's done to cultural production. The other thing which is related to the first is, is, is a sociality of the music, where people learn music um, and where people uh, watch music. And um, yeah, so that the kind of social space of the music. And then I guess um, last thing is also the kind of which is related to all of this the, the kind of class aspirations of the music mm. um, and so I think the most overarching question to me relates to the first which encompasses all of the others it's the reformulation of racial capitalism in the moment of uh, 94 and after it um, so I mean One thing I think I would maybe want to say also is that I'm not necessarily convinced that jazz was mainstream uh, in the past. I think there's also there's a that we need to be I think cognizant of the way that we remember the music and how that how we remember the music now and how that kind of can influence the way we think it was experienced at the time. Having said that. Um, there was there was I think in many different moments a very different social space in which the music was uh, experienced so if we think to the early 60s uh, the biggest jazz festival in the country is the Orlando Jazz Festival Castle Lago Orlando Jazz Festival which is held in Soweto mm-hmm. uh, if we think about now where the two biggest jazz festivals festival in the country are Cape Town Jazz Festival held at the International Convention Center and Joy of Jazz held at the fucking Sandton Convention Center. <laughs> so, I think immediately we see that there's there's been uh, on a very basic level uh, but there's multiple other levels to it. On a very basic level, it's been ripped away from the communities that it emerged away from, right? Um, and so this is a um, There's a, there's a piece I wrote a while ago for a, a platform Blue Frame, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of reflecting on uh, the closure of the Orbit, mm-hmm. which tries to, which was a, a jazz club in Jogo, uh, um, and tries to think about some of the ways in which um, jazz in the contemporary moment has been elitified. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you think about what um, there's there's so many fucking whiskey sponsored jazz gigs in like bougie ass parts of Cape Town um, and um, this 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 whole kind of culture around the music as this like middle class um, or like even upper middle class 
kind of thing. Mm. And I mean, if you think about the, the Cape Town Jazz Festival, it costs like a thousand rand. It's like a thousand, thousand two hundred rand to go. Mm. And the absurd thing is that when I'm not playing a gig at the festival, I can't or I can just about barely afford to go. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of musicians are in the same place. Yeah. So it's also this way in which musicians are occupying this almost false class position <laughs> within this thing because the music is being marketed and catered to um, for those and uh, like um, hospitality tickets and, and people who can buy like expensive whiskey. But actually, the musicians, musicians' own kind of lives are far more precarious than that kind of Ugh. way that's projected. So I think there's also a major thing about how um, jazz has been used to project a, a, like an idea mm. of uh, a certain kind of like um, middle class uh, aspirant rainbow nation identity. Um, and part of that has to do with um, the kind of festivals and the sponsors of these kinds of things. And, um, and so I think, and the other major thing that I forgot to mention is I think education, how are people learning this music? You know, if you look at the early 60s, I mean, there's these stories of um, Tete Mbambisa's place, his mother's house actually in New Brighton. Um, Tete Mbambisa is kind of understood to be like the cat who taught so many Eastern Cape musicians like quote-unquote modern harmony mm -hmm. and people used to come to his mother's house and she was she was like cool with people staying for like a week two weeks uh, and they just used to hang and they would hang by the piano and they would teach and learn each other with with each other um, and so there's, 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 there's this way in which the, the learning and the performance of the music was in a very particular social setting, mm. right? Which is, in, which is around other black people. It's accessible. Um, and it's, and it's, it's, it's in the neighborhood, it's in the home. Mm. If you think about mo the majority of people who are playing jazz music, music now in South Africa, probably 80, 90% of them have learned in the university. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the university programs, the majority of them have, I mean, there's a, there's a story that Makatini told me some time ago when he, he auditioned to go to UKZN to study music, which he eventually did. Um, and he, he came from this really deep, um, I guess, kind of indigenized um, Christian musical tradition. And he was in his family and kind of his neighborhood. He was the he was the person who would sing the songs. You know, he was like the musical cat. Mm. And he comes to UKZN, you know, and with this wealth of knowledge, this like real deep kind of rooting in a musical tradition. Um, but within that space, they were like, no, you have to do a bridging year because that doesn't count for anything here. You That's need to learn crazy. all of this other shit, you know. That's crazy. And it's like. Wow. That, that so that that mode of alienation that the that the university insists on is part of what's ripped people away from understanding their own kind of cultural religious mm. social musical practices as the basis from which to 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 form and shape a, a jazz practice right um and so that's also part of what how it's been removed from people 
um, because it's the, the, the curriculum. I mean, it's really odd because it's like a very Eurocentric mode of teaching yeah. music, but the music is, is, is the content of it is, uh, is like this kind of black radical tradition, but all of those aspects are stripped from it because people are teaching it as this like very technical thing, uh, right? Can you play a fucking Charlie Parker solo? Like, okay, maybe you can play a Charlie Parker solo, but like, what did it mean for Charlie Parker to be playing that solo in fucking late 1940s New York? You know what I mean? Um, and it's like, so the social context, even of the music that is being taught to people at universities has been so removed from the music. So that, so that I think jazz music has been so much torn away from any social context that it exists in. But having said that, I mean, there's also, I mean, there are a number of, you know, musicians who continue to be politically engaged. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would, I would definitely want to caution against yeah, um, yeah. assuming that, you know, the scene is completely apolitical or whatever. Um, but also the way, the thing is that the way, the places that the, the music exists in, you know, you can play a gig at Rosie's and like speak about mm-hmm. at, at sorry, Rosie's a venue at Cape Town Jazz Festival and like, you know, either reference, you know, like Fees Must Fall or the Marikana Mess Massacre or any of these other kind of things that have been going on. But that's it. It just exists there, like in the yeah. same in in the same way that in the same way that um, fine art exists in this white cube. The music has been so torn away from the social context that 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 it should be involved in, um, that you know things become almost like hashtags rather than any form of like grounded, involved, organized political work. You know. Um, it's what you were saying actually about um, kind of how it gets removed from quote-unquote indigenous expressions of music and stuff like that. Um, what came to mind was Mandisi Yandis' album. Um, I forget what it's called. Mm. And it was, it was an album. Yeah. So Manta, yeah. And it got so big that, you know, even people who are not stiff upper lip, you know, like jazz people, that's an album that's that was resonant across the board and it's like okay so what is what is it that Mandis Yankees did that is that is kind of like something that breaks out of how jazz is imagined now and the reality of it is that he just sings like a Kosa guy from the Eastern Cape who went to church and he sings in a language that we all understand because when 100%. you think about because um, even even I I like jazz music, okay, but even I struggle with, um, you know, jazz music as it is in South Africa now. It's not, you know, it's not the same kind of accessible as it would be being a girl who grew up in the villages and then hearing, um, you know, that's something that is directly in my context. This is relatable. I don't have to be smart. I don't have to have, some, you know out of this world knowledge or you know it's not a deep cut i'm just like yeah when men were stick fighting that's all and i think that maybe it's a deep cut in that sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah perhaps and i think that's something that because i think there is honestly he has been set apart in a way where he speaks this language that is recognizable right but it's still quote unquote sophisticated music it's brilliant yeah in a language that we can get you know it's in a language where 
makes sense in my head. No, it's, it's soul music, man. It's soul music. Yeah. I mean that 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 album is like it's so be- you, you can you can feel it, you know. I I, I actually I'm so glad you brought him up because he is probably the only jazz South African local jazz musician, South African jazz musician um who is resonating no one else is resonating on a national level like he is right now. You know, and I mean I'm it's not to say that these other other musicians that are in the contemporary um scene right now aren't um uh doing well, you know. Shout out Tandi Duli who's getting, you know, show uh, her song played on shows on Netflix and all these type of things. But Mandisi Jankis is like, you know, he's speaking to the people directly and it's so interesting to see him elevate to what I tried to say, you know, you said you want to be cautious about not calling jazz mainstream, which is perfectly fine. Um maybe what I what, what I would the word I used previously was household names. Mm. You know, in the sense where um you know Moses Mulelekwa was a household name if I can say it like that you know to the point where his death can shock the nation and not like shock jazz fans because he was already out there with TKZ and now he's already out there as that cat that's like the prodigy and the next um step after Huma Segele and all the people that have come before him Big Mseleku Monk Herbie Hancock whatever whatever and Mandisi Dunkies right now I feel like he's on that platform where it's like this dude is yo he's he's speaking to people that don't even listen to jazz but they go to church like as he mentioned you know exactly. I have I have church 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 members from my church who come to me and say do you guys know any you know my DC Dunkie song when we, when we play our jazz stuff and of course of course I do mm-hmm. but I mean that's just like the sign of just like okay this is what's clearly touching the souls right now yeah yeah and he yeah he yeah. thank you for bringing him up because I think what he does is particularly interesting. Um but it's not to say though that he's the only cat that's doing that. It's also not to say that he's the best jazz musician right now if there's a way of ranking there isn't, but well, it's pretty interesting how resonant. I I think one of the reasons that Essie and I spoke about in the previous attempts to record this was live instrumentation as mm-hmm. a dying thing you know where the advent of technology is making newer sounds and i mean if we look at the reaction to Kendrick Lamar's to Pimple Butterfly compared to his other albums that's a one clear example of the way people re- react to instruments versus how they react to 808s you know and um i don't know what would you think like would be some of the i don't know like just some of the ways that we can look at how the idea of a bad setup uh becomes less you know attractive than a producer type of sound i don't i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i mean i mean i'm a i'm i play drums <laughs> and i play and like, i play acoustic drums i don't own any spd what 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 i'm not no, I'm, not, i'm not anti that stuff at all i mean i'm not anti and For me I feel like this I have a very particular kind of a very deep relationship with my instrument um which is and I'm I'm not sure if you speak about it as a spiritual thing or what but like there's something about like the the resonance of these 
acoustic instruments yeah and like the tones that they produce and being involved in creating that um that to me will always be a different thing to kind of playing pads or whatever this is my own personal thing but like i must say i'm i'm in no way a purist or against like people doing that shit at all um but i also think that there's a particular kind of relationships that people have with instruments mm-hmm. that i'm not sure i'm not sure so many people have that kind of spiritual relationship and are able to channel that energy through electronic instruments that's not like a blanket statement in any way uh-huh. um because i mean we're speaking about what i mentioned georgia and maldro's album just now mm-hmm. her new album and i mean she's kind of to me the producer who has been able to bring this sort of free jazz energy to like produced yeah. music within a kind of like hip hop or beats kind of context um and like but also i mean like you know detroit house yeah um even like gold man Uh, yeah that's all kind of can be spiritual music in a certain sense you know yeah no it's definitely um but i mean i don't you know if we if we think about like um if we think about technological developments a technological development doesn't doesn't immediately render everything that has come before it irrelevant you know i mean that's 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 the idea that kind of tech companies are purveying to us yeah. you know and kind of the the capitalist idea of like planned obsolescence you know the way that you buy a fucking phone today and in 2 years it it can't cope with the technology because the same companies that sold you the phone are writing technology that 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 phone can't use you know so that's a particular idea about the way that technology develops um but uh, to me like you know maybe i'll get into like spds and pads and all of this technological things at some stage but i don't i don't think that because cats are playing that stuff like what i'm trying to do or what anyone else is trying to do on acoustic instruments remains obsolete there's definitely a way in which it's fucking cheaper to hire someone with a laptop to play a fucking <laughs> party than it is like a five piece band yeah and so i mean that's that that's the material basis of it right yeah yeah um and there's also there's also an interesting way in which kind of contemporary music production software has given a whole range of people access to the ability to make music that previously <laughs> might not have had it you know so there's there's all of these different kinds of contradictions in it um i don't think it was the point that we were trying to make at least me um i don't think it was about live instrumentation becoming becoming obsolete more than it is um what is the culture of partying what is the culture of how sure. we consume music um and it's sort of like yeah okay live music is not obsolete i mean we know what time it is but at the same time our biggest you know export just now was ikum you know we danced to ama piano the cultural landscape is kind of electronic and it's you know do people have the patience to to party through yeah. like you know we have special spaces like wazoo or we had you know 
um, in Cape Town, but in terms of even just partying, actually, you know, we party mm. with electronic with electronic music, and that affects how we consume music then, because it's mm. not like I can just step out to a zoo or um, what's the place that closed down the orbit or you know mm-hmm. how I'm gonna party mm-hmm. is gonna be with a DJ, you know. I think mm. it is how mm. then how the music becomes consumed, because then where's the space then for not that it's obsolete, but is there? Yeah. And, and, sorry, just, it's it's funny you mention that because when you speak about parties, um, I've been to parties just to keep it in a South African jazz context as well. I've been to parties where they used to play, um, you know, like Kuma Segala's Tanai or Chileshe or even Judith Puma's music. Uh, and, um, you know, and when we talk about the, the shift, the cultural sensibilities or like the cultural significance, is anybody playing like, you know, Tutu Sumakatini at a party? You know, is anyone playing um, Benjamin Jeffter at a party or Tandi Dule at a party? They're not, you know? And that's kind of one of the reasons why this episode became so interesting to us because we're not really channeling um, that sort of energy that was alive. I mean, yeah, me and Essie are pretty young, so this can come up as a revisionist take. But I do very clearly remember hearing these things, and I and I and I see in the way that people react to, you know, someone playing point of view or thrpa, you know, at a party. It's gonna get it's gonna get lit, you know. But no one's no one's necessarily gonna play a 2010s South African jazz music to get the people going. And I guess that's what we're interested by, you know, why why is that? You've mentioned your arguments, but I guess that's what what we're bringing yeah. forth here. Man, there's, there's a lot of a lot of things in my mind that I want to kind of mention. Mm-hmm. One of them is the is also the idea that we consume music. Like that's a, do we consume music? You know, that's, that's like such a market kind of concept, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the very idea that one consumes music maybe also removes the, the idea of music being something other being something that could like stimulate your thought or like being something that like you engage or engages you right um, and I think that speaks to I mean even the way we're speaking about music is consumption and like if you think about music as consumption then like immediately we're having a different kind of conversation because if you're consuming music then you're not thinking about music that's going to help like give you maybe make you feel something that like you haven't felt for a long time or maybe is going to be framed in such a way that challenges your thinking on something or whatever it is you know so that i mean i think that was the one thing um and it also goes to the things like is is the goal for south african jazz to be that it can be played in parties you know what i mean to me that's to me neither neither that nor it's something's commercial value is going to say whether something is culturally relevant yeah I got you. you know what i mean so i think also i mean and it's been really interesting the release of my album you know i feel like um and a number of people have said this but i also do feel like it, it's an album that kind of requires listening it's um it's um and people have listened to it 
You know what I mean? It's like, what, 55 minutes? And it's not something that, you know, I mean, you could play like maybe hoping to, I mean, depending on the party, you know, you could drop yeah. any of those. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? You know? You know, so depending on the DJ and the context, you could, but it's, 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 it's not, a, I don't, you know, it's not like, it's not going to be, a, it's not a dance floor banger. You know what I mean? It's not, a, it's not a weekend special. But I, I don't think so, but it's, but, but, and, and so I think what I'm trying to say is maybe there's other ways also for us to understand how music is speaking to a context. For sure. Um, than necessarily what's being used to be part at a party i mean here's here's one example that kind of um doesn't resolve any of these questions but speaks very much to them mm -hmm. i think this was end of 2016 um and i was playing buyela kaya uh which is this huge festival at you, you guys know it yeah. at um exactly. buffalo park in yeah. east london yeah 18th of december so it's like it's like Festive. the epicenter big, of december yeah it's like big days people are all you know, people yeah. come from all over, like, yep. Eastern Cape. You He's come at, like, you know, 10, 10 a.m. with your camp master chairs and your cool box. And, like, you know, it's, like, 15, 20,000 people. This is with Msaki. This is with Msaki. Okay. Duduzo was playing with us. We're playing with, like, a 12-piece band or something. Jeez. And, you know, <laughs> like, a lot of really killing musicians. Yeah. And we start playing this one piece. I think it was the and then the first or the second piece we played, and it's like this really open, spacious, kind of like free kind of textures, um, like soundscapes. <laughs> and I just remember these people in the crowd, like with their like plastic cups being like, <laughs> like, we want gold. And it's like, you know, people were, and it's like, you know, I guess that, that music is, 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 He's trying to take wow. people to other places. Yeah. And like, there's, there's also a way in which a lot of the music we've been speaking about that is played at parties. Yeah. Maybe doesn't make people confront a lot of shit that's going on in the world. 100%. You know? I think um, so there's also a way in which the, the historical moment and the fucking misery of this particular time is reflected by the culture of music. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we, so there's a material basis, I think, to all of this. And we live in a time that is deeply pessimistic. Yeah. Um, and we have to understand all of these cultural developments w within that. You know what I mean? So as much as some of this is about the jazz and the music that's being produced, there's also a much broader kind of historical and social moment, I think, that it exists in. The thing about the party, you know, it's not so much the party, but rather um, it's symbolizing kind of this collective, Kenna, I'm not going to say, consumption because you're gonna flame my ass but um just this collective <laughs> um i don't like uh, this collective connection to this kind of thing right where it's something that we then yeah. enjoy in communion so it's it's not yeah. necessarily about getting down blah 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 but just going that this is music that's you know it's not made necessarily just for you know even though it makes you think and i i, I get it it's introspective but it's not just made for individual consumption. I said it. <laughs> I mean, just like also on that, we did have, I feel like in that time where there were musicians who could make 
songs that did well for social and party type of gatherings and settings. But we still had musicians who were not doing that. Like yeah. I would, like I would like to mention Moses Tai Molelekwa, who I don't really think he was getting played like that at um, parties. But he was still doing fairly well for himself, where the attention and the scope was centered towards his music, which made people think. I mean, if you think of songs like Big Street and um, songs like, you know, Matuaeli, you know, all these beautiful songs, you know, that didn't necessarily have to get played at a party or didn't have to have that type of culture associated with it for it to still resonate that well. Um, yeah, yeah. And maybe I must just add, say something that, in a sense, I think brings a lot of what we're all saying together in a way that is not necessarily, because um, I, I don't think we're saying necessarily opposite things, mm-hmm. but I think part of the moment, so, so I, I'm not making, I, I, I want to just clarify that I'm not making the argument for jazz just being something that makes people think. Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's in no way is what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think what I was saying about also Mandisi's album is that it's like, it makes people feel and that's like what's so pertinent about it and i mean i hope my music also makes people feel something because that, that that's really the place that it comes from but what i also wanted to say is that part of this moment historically has also been the destruction of places that are able to create a community around music yeah. that is not party music yeah you know what i mean yeah, yeah. so as as much as the music is not happening like um, might not be featuring in parties or whatever. It's also been a time where, you know, all of the types of venues, yeah. so many types of venues that would have played this kind of music, mahogany room, have been destroyed. Room. You know, so like a lot of the places where the music is played is like in online playlists and all of this stuff. Uh, you know, uh. so it's that it's it. The the thing is that there was spaces and there has been historically spaces. Um, for people to come together around this music. I think that, uh, and there's always been a struggle around that, you know, so I'm not saying it's like always been like that necessarily. There's always been a struggle for those spaces. But I think we're in a moment now through the contemporary forms of capitalism and gentrification where there's been an increased and more intensive assault on the places that uh, house this music, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and outside of those places, it's more and more difficult to bring like some of this music into a, you know, a social setting that is like 5,000 people and people want to hear Gorm or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Because like the smallest spaces have been destroyed. I think we can also gather just, you know, our final thoughts um, on this. Where, where do you see, um, if I can ask a question to you, Asher, and actually also you, Essie, you can answer it as well. Where do you see, um, where do you see local South African jazz music heading with the way um, where we're looking at the counterparts, you know, um, where people such as, um, like I said, Kendrick Lamar due to Purple Butterfly and artists such as these very, not jazz musicians, but they borrow from that, you know, Masejo and, you know, FKJ and Tom Mish, I would say, and in the UK having its own scene with, Jordan Rakai and, you know, Australia having its own scene with the hiatus coyotes. Mm. And these people are getting Grammy nominations on all these type of things. Where do you see South African um, jazz music um, entering 
in a way that listeners can become, you know, more accustomed or recognized, like they become more like, do you see that a possibility for jazz to do what it used to do maybe in the early 2000s, where, where jazz musicians would start making music videos that can get played on mainstream platforms, because they used to, you know? I think a lot of really dope stuff is going on in the music. Um, I think that it, going back to what I was saying earlier, that the social space around the music mm-hmm. um, is probably the main or decisive thing that's changed, I think, um, under capitalism. But uh, to respond more directly to your question, I'll respond indirectly through <laughs> referencing one of my favorite albums. There's, um, I don't know if you know Black on Both Sides. Most yeah, people, but yeah. most of. So on one of the, I, oh, think yes, it's the I think it's the opening track. It's called Hip Hop. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, it's actually, it sounds like a fella beat. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that one, all over the world, heart pound with the rhythm. Fear not a man because men must die. Mind mm-hmm. over matter and soul before flesh. It's that one. Oh, it's called Fear Not for Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some stage, he's, he's, he's just kind of like talking, rapping over this beat. And he says, um, you know, people always ask me, yo, most, what's going to happen with hip hop? Hey, where's hip hop going? Um, and he's like, people talk about hip hop like it's some giant living in the hillside. <laughs> um, and he says, you know, hip hop is us. Um, so when you want to ask about where is hip hop going, ask yourself, how am I doing? How are we doing? Uh, you uh, know? Uh, uh. And so in the same sense, like, you know, jazz is not some giant living in the hillside. Mm. You know, jazz is, mm. if jazz is going to be relevant, if music is going to be relevant, it's going to be, it's going to come from us. You know what I mean? And that's going to depend what we're doing in society other than playing music. Mm-hmm. It's going to depend on the spaces we are able to make around the music, uh, the types of kind of, you know, social processes that we put the music in conversation with, you know, are we just going to play fucking jazz gigs at Cape Town Jazz Fest and wait for whiskey brands to, to hire us a gig or are we going to like, mm-hmm. you know, put music together in another kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> So I think a lot of it depends on, on, on those things. Um, so yeah, I don't really necessarily have any predictions in that way, but I think that that's, for me, that's a direction. Those are questions that I'm grappling with, you know, um, in terms of how I think I want to be involved in this music, um, which is to say to be involved in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, with a particular politics, what does it mean to pursue that politics and like play the music? You know, does uh, it can't just mean you say certain shit, you know, or like write certain things? That's got to it's got to be in, there's got to be some form of material practice, I think, um, in terms of the way we situate the music in the world and the space we make around it. Um, yeah.
just want to say thank you for telling it like it is and just sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, it's really, it's really great to be able to hear these pers perspectives because, you know, unfortunately they are not mainstream. And um, I think we need more of them, obviously, not just for the sake of music, but for the sake of our lives. Mm. So uh, it's really, really great to be able to chop it up with you on this conversation. And uh, all the best as well with uh, the career, um, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Fuck a career. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll call it, you know, with the, with the journey or the struggle, <laughs> you know, yeah, that yeah. you're waging against some of the conditions that um, make the things that we're hoping to happen um impossible but um yeah man just thank you for for spending your time with us today Absolutely. and yeah um just want to thank our listeners as well uh thank you for bearing with us uh if you would be so kind as to give us a five star rating on all those platforms apple music spotify and uh yeah what do you want a five star rating for what's that about Oh, bro, like, we're good. Like, it deserves a five-star rating. Anything less than that, like, you, you don't know music. <laughs> um, and and it was just, it's just so good to be back as well. So thank you for everyone that's been patient enough to wait for this episode. And uh, we're looking forward to the next one. Please follow us on our social medias as well, which is The Deep Pod, I believe, at The Deep Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And you can just find us on Facebook, even though we don't use that, uh, on the, the deep cut. And yeah, thank you so much. Peace and love, always.